Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror and the horror lifestyle. It is October all year round for us, but it is October actually, uh, <laughs> currently. So this is a October catch-up, wrap-up episode. Uh, it is where Jesse and uh, my co-host, Jesse Hassinger, hello, uh, and myself, Brett Arnold, other host of the show, it's where we kind of catch up on all the horror content that we haven't covered on the show yet. If you're a me super fan, for whatever reason, and this basically is a message to my parents, who have, all, who have listened to both of my shows, I'm sure, this week already. Um, I did talk about a lot of these on Roger and Me, and I talked about a lot more horror stuff on Roger and Me than I have uh, on this show, if only because there's so much of it. And we had to give the marquee slot to Exorcist Believer last week. And then we had to give it to John Kramer the week before. And uh, now that there's there's the biggest horror release, there was some this week. <coughs> but the biggest one, I would say, was Dear David, a BuzzFeed Studios film based on a viral Twitter thread. That's a real thing. It exists. Reviewed it on Roger and Me. Uh, there's something out today or this weekend. Uh, I think you can pay to rent it on VOD. It's called Dark Harvest. Jesse did watch it, and we disagree about it. And uh, <laughs> I think we're going to talk about it today. Uh, there's something on Shudder called The Puppet Man that I gave like a tepid two and a half, borderline three recommend that uh, we'll talk about. Or I guess we won't talk about because Jesse hasn't seen it, but I talked about it on Roger and Me. Uh, when Evil Lurks, we will be talking about. This is a really haphazard way of telling you what we're doing. I'm just going through a list of movies and saying whether or not we are talking about them. When Evil Lurks, sure. Uh, totally Killer, sure. Jesse watched it. Uh, and I do not think Jesse watched Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. No, I intended to, and then it just didn't. I, what I did instead was edited someone else's review of it, and that really that really soured me on the... <laughs> I mean, the review yeah. was very well written. I just uh, just convinced me that maybe I didn't need to see it. That was very well written. You were convinced to not watch it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, VHS 85 on Shudder, uh, reviewed it on the other show. Jesse, I don't think, has watched it, and I'm not going to encourage him to because I thought it was quite bad. There's a Derrickson in there. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh scary, scary. Spooky Very stuff. scary. Um, but before we get into any of these other main events, let's harp on the fact that um, we learned last week that all my impressions sound like Daniel Plainview. So <laughs> now I want to, since I didn't get to really riff with the idea that my Liam Neeson sounds like him, or maybe I did, but I want to do more. Um, get under the bed. My son and my partner, H.W. Plainview, will take you. <laughs> That's all I got. Perfect. I'm glad I wrote that down. That was important. I'm glad. I'm picturing you the... bolt up right in the middle of the night going, wait a minute. Yes. I got something. That's exactly what happened. 
Uh, I think before we get into the anything else, let's talk about box office stories because I think there's a pretty crazy one happening right now before our eyes. No, it's not Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, which just grossed. Looks like the numbers put it at 97 million, which yes. I believe there was some weird range that AMC put out that said like it's like 92 to 97, and in there, I think 96.2 would have been the record. <laughs> for October that Joker has. So I think they are officially saying it's beating the October record and Taylor Swift is number one at the box office. Will she play the new Joker is the question. Will Yes. Will they reshoot Joker? What's it called? Follet à doigt. Uh, Will they reshoot it with Taylor Swift in the Lady Gaga role? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Shut down production. Just do it all over. It's the Gaga's time is over. It's time for Taylor Swift to play Harley Quinn and the Joker and direct the film herself. I think I think that's all coming to fruition. I think we can all agree that this box office is seismic and changes changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, changes studio plans all over the place. So the Exorcist Believer, Jesse, is number two at the box office in its second weekend with eleven million dollars. That puts the domestic total at forty five. And the international at forty. So after two weekends, it's at eighty-five million dollars worldwide. Not bad for a thirty million dollar movie, right? Or so you'd think. Until you read about the rights costing four hundred million dollars, and them kind of, they're kind of screwing themselves into like, we bought a, we bought three of these things or whatever. We bought the rights for this many years or this many entries, and they kind of shot themselves in the foot right like they need all these movies to make a certain amount of money i feel i feel like and this one is already not gonna be there like what's the what does that break down to 133 each or something (laughs) yeah uh well if if you're making three no no one says they can't just make 10 good point yeah i don't know what the the, the i'm doing the pointing to my head like in the meme (laughs) yes right why not but like it's interesting that like this box office performance on paper, I think sounds fine. Like it costs 30. What do you care? It's making all this money back, but it's already leading to articles such as this in the Hollywood reporter exorcist believer backlash franchise will live, but sequel changes likely. So universal, I'm just reading from the article now. So excuse the puns and shit. It's not, (laughs) it is the Hollywood reporter. It is the trades. Universal found itself in purgatory over the opening weekend of Exorcist Believer, which was envisioned as a trilogy kickoff reboot of the iconic horror title. While it performed solidly at the box office, recouping its production costs, the title drew critical hellfire from reviewers and fans, except for Jesse Hassinger. Wow, they put that in there. (laughs) Yeah, wow. interesting. I appreciate it. Uh, Putting the franchise creative plan into a tailspin. The Blumhouse-produced Believer is the first offspring from the studio's 2021 purchase of that iconic horror franchise rights. The theatrical rights for which Universal beat out rival bids for three movies came with the heaven-high price tag of $400 million, but also included the film's streaming rights for Peacock and theme park extensions, like this month's Exorcist Believer Maze at Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. So it's not as if each film needs to make at least $133 million on its own. Um, but the, the deal made sense to the studio, sources say, given that it would pair that it would once again pair Blumhouse and Halloween director David Gordon Green on another iconic franchise. Still producer Jason Dumb Jason Dumb. Wow. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Still producer Jason Blum dubbed Believer the riskiest movie I've ever made because of its cost. 
The new film features Ellen Burstyn returning to the coast, re- returning to co-star. Uh, I don't know about that. In an Exorcist film for the first time since 1973, the original. Uh, Believer was tracking to pull down 30 to 35, but it slipped to 26.5 uh, when the final numbers were tallied. Overseas, it opened to 17.6 for a soft global start of 44.2. Even if it had opened to 35 million, as tracking suggested, that would have been a disappointment, says David Heron, founder of tracking and research for uh, firm The Quorum. Bringing back beloved IP doesn't mean you will match the heights of these statistical anomalies, like Blumhouse's 2018 Halloween reboot, which opened to a stunning 76.2. You're setting yourself up for failure. Additional headwinds included a last-minute date change to get in front of Taylor Swift uh, concert film. The SAG after strike limiting talent marketing. Who, what talent was going to market this movie? What are they talking I mean, yeah, about? I mean, Leslie Odom Jr., well, hugely uh, famous actor. Les, even Leslie Odom, like for that matter, he's doing a Broadway show right now, so he wasn't going to be doing anything. Uh, get the girls, the get the Exorcist girls on on, yeah. on, on Fallon. What are they yeah. going to do? They're going to slow jam the news. Yeah, the, <laughs> they'll do some. I don't know. Doesn't I feel like everyone has to go sing on Fallon, right? They're going to do yeah. some Exorcist carpool karaoke, I guess. I oh think. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. You're right. Missed opportunities all all over the place. Uh, a crowded horror marketplace with the Nun Two and Saw X among their rivals. Uh, the next few weeks are unclear for the movie, as horror movies can often keep rolling as Halloween approaches. But given the response and Swifties invading cinema, it could get excised from screens faster than usual. For now, we're told Universal remains firmly possessed. Enough of this. Enough <laughs> of these puns. I'm sick of this. This is the last time I read a trade article out loud. This is horrible. Uh, they're still possessed by the IP. Two more will still be made. But sources say Believer's reception will almost certainly demand some degree of a creative rethink for the next two films. The first sequel is supposed to be called Deceiver, and it was announced for 2025, and the script is already done. Uh, Director Green was likewise expected to return, but he recently expressed some doubt in a different THR interview, said, you know, my intention is just to start making things, and as those plans come together, if I find myself in the Deceiver director's chair, I'd be thrilled. But right now, I'm navigating it from a story perspective, and looking at my realities of life as I pivot. That sounds like he does not want to make this movie. Reading yes. between the lines. Or um, or that he expects that he might get bounced from it and, and is, is trying to be already sort of yeah. Yeah, saying, hey, you know, maybe if it doesn't happen, it's not a, not a big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know why they're so set on doing... Uh, they, they could just not do sequels. They could just do other kind of... You know, exorcist branded things that aren't sequels to this movie, like a like a monthly subscription basket or something. Yes, exactly. The exorcist subscription box, exorcist cereal. I mean, like they could, <laughs> they could make uh, they could make exorcist other exorcist movies that don't have a direct. I just like I can't imagine what do you do with this movie. I, like you said, it seems kind of like if there's any sequel set up in it, it's the idea that maybe old cast members could come back and do yeah. their own exercise. A very but like, already okay. outdated legacy model that I feel like we're all, we've all soured on since this movie. Like, way with, before, like when did we sour on it? don't yeah, seem don't up for it, frankly. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, like uh, Burson doesn't seem like she wants to. Linda Blair, I don't mean this in a mean way, but, like, since not Jamie, she's not Jamie Lee Curtis in terms of audience recognition or interest. Like, yeah. what's, the, what's the upside there? It seems like it would make more sense to just do, like, a kind of, you know sequel and name only kind i mean this is already kind of a sequel and name only but like a just you know some other thing with the exorcist that isn't like the sequel to the movie that again i liked but a lot not enough people six nights at freddy's reagan's here yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly 
There's opportunities. It's weird that Five Nights at Freddy's is apparently tracking very well, but from what I understand from Jesse's child, that is that it's like a video game property that children who don't even play it know about. Yes, apparently. Yeah, and well, and, and our our friend Ethan's daughter, um, or I think it was his daughter, said was was really yes. into it. Yes, uh, that's right. And she was a little she's a little older, so she's not. A, she does, I think, has played the game and was like very enthusiastic. And that's from what from what I've heard from. You know, from my ears to the ground, or whatever. <laughs> yes, my my co- connection to the child community is that yeah, the younger people, the teachers. Jesse's teenagers. going up to random kids on the street. Yeah. And talking hey, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think of this Five Nights at Freddy's? Um, uh, yeah, the the young the younger crowd is really into that in a way that I'm sure they do not. A thirteen year old right now does not care about The Exorcist, uh, but they probably do care about this video game they've been playing for their whole life. Um, but yeah, I, it's so mystifying to me. I would keep hearing Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, in tr- you know in trades or whatever, being like, "Oh, they might make a Five Nights at Freddy's movie." And I was like, "What the fuck is that? I don't. What do you mean? Yeah, five? and then five that, Nights at Freddy's, and then that Nicolas Cage movie came out that was animatronic based. Right. I was like, I thought, "That's that's this, right? Me too. <laughs> that's, exactly. Yeah. I thought that was it. I'm like, yeah, they couldn't quite get the rights, so they named it something else. But that's what it was. But yeah. no, the whole time they were also planning." Five Nights at Freddy's. Well, so it, this is this is not super newsy, but in fact, it was very frustrating how not newsy it was. But I was at the um, the internationally renowned Blumfest a few days ago. You guys, mm. you guys are all familiar with Blumfest, of course. Uh, Blumfest is for those few of you who are not aware. Uh, <laughs> a we'll present- stoop to your level, real a, quick. A, a, yes, a promotional presentation uh, of. Blumhouse movies done at the New York Comic Con, which they kind of made sound like it's this thing that happens every year. I have no idea. Um, but I went as press to the New York Comic Con and went. The only like panel I went to was actually Jason the Blumhouse Blum's one. State of the Union. Yeah, it was. It was and, and Blum did stroll out there, uh, cock of the walk, really smarmy guy. Man, he's really. Uh, <laughs> Even he's, from a distance? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was not that far away, so I could. The, but I think even from the back of the room, I would sense the smarm he, he was giving off. He's, you know, he's trying to like play the fan. It's just very smarmy. We do this for the fans, you know, but kind of always sounding vaguely insincere. I mean, he sounds like a. He didn't even player. show you guys a fucking movie. Like, come no, on. No, you know, yeah. So the three, the, the things they did were, uh, they had d- directors do uh, a little mini interviews for each movie that they have for this month basically or not even for this month two for this month and the one that's coming up in january so uh they talked about five nights of freddy's totally killer a movie that was already fucking out when they for like (laughs) a week when they did this presentation um they showed us the trailer Ooh, the trailer for a movie that came out 10 days ago uh and and night swim when they showed the trailer and then talked to the director for a little bit and blum was there the whole time kind of just looming next to each filmmaker um, and that he was talking about Five Nights at Freddy's, how they had wanted to make this movie for something like a decade or something insane. Like this was, <laughs> you know, like this was the Godfather or something. Um, and he said the way they finally cracked it was that they had, they, he said like so many things that you adapt from, that people adapt from famous video games or books or, or TV shows or whatever, uh, are trying to be faithful to the source but also welcome new audiences in so they can understand it and he said there's their innovative solution was to not do the second thing 
Yeah, just, just make it for the fans. Yeah, for the fans. It's for the fans. I mean, well, like, it, that's exactly what happened to like Disney and Mo- Star Wars, is it not? Like they were like, we're gonna make original content, and then people reacted to Last Jedi, and they're like, go to Reddit and print out what they want and yeah, make it. <laughs> just list the list the demands. Well, I mean, like I get it with TV shows that you like, you're essentially you are making even if you're spending a lot more money you're essentially making the saturday morning cartoon like i mean like you know yeah. like there's a certain there's a limit to how many people are gonna like watch several star wars tv shows a year so like you essentially are doing the you know okay the who's good who really cares about this stuff but and then hey you know for five nights at freddy's maybe that makes total sense too maybe there's no way that i would i would ever be like oh boy five nights at freddy's um it was just funny to he, hear him blatantly i mean it was some of it's also just convention ass kissing but it was also yeah. it was it was funny to hear him say like yeah we didn't try to make it accessible to outside Did the audiences. room erupt uh i mean that was definitely the thing people of the three things that people were most excited about <laughs> but uh but again it sounds I, like you were it sounds like you were at like a corporate retreat it does not I, sound yeah. like a fun comic-con <laughs> It uh, was. I mean, set. I was. I was. I have a cold. I was sick. I shouldn't have been there. I should have just gone <laughs> home. Like, so I was not patient in a great zero movie. at Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. I had a mask on. I was just si- sitting there in my mask, stewing. Your mask about what and a your newsies cap, trying to ask yeah. Jeff, Jason <laughs> yeah. Blum a question. Excuse sir, me, excuse sir. me, Mr. Blum, Mr. Blum. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about the pool and night swim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was it? What was the temperature of the pool yeah, and night swim? Yeah. <laughs> what was the temperature? <laughs> Honestly, that was the one I came across. Came, I mean, I'd already seen Totally Kill, totally Killer, so I didn't need to get an impression of that. But the movie that I came out of this presentation most interested in, for sure, was Night Swim. I so, was like, oh, there's a monster in the pool that looks cool. I hadn't even heard of that until a text from a friend who is like an actor, comedian, who auditions for stuff. He told me, he asked if I'd seen it, and I was like, I hadn't even heard of it. And he said, oh, I got really far in the audition process. And then oh, I didn't, wow. get, didn't get it. Um, so I'm fascinated by that to picture my buddy in it. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It, so it's a something in a pool? What is it? Yeah, it's like it's really is. I mean, it's it's the first thing that um, I don't know if it's the first thing, but it's Atomic Monster and Blumhouse. Um, I oh. didn't know. I guess I don't know. if uh, I knew that they were working together, but Blum really That's talked right. about it being like a merger, like like an acquisition, essentially, eventually. We talked about it when it happened, and it was very – I feel like the deal wasn't really written out yet. Yeah, yeah. he even kind of made it sound that way, that way now, saying like, yeah, they started working together, and eventually this will be Blumhouse acquiring Atomic Monster, huh. um, which I just didn't really think of it that way. I was like, yeah, they're they're, they're doing stuff together. Um, but this is one of those, and it's like it literally is. There's a swimming pool, and like there's a what monster. if there was a swimming pool? Is the yeah, premise. what if there was? A, yeah, uh, seen in the French movie Swimming Pool. Um, <laughs> La there's, there's like a monster. Uh, there's a monster in a pool. I, I I presume there's some kind of like magical portal that brings the monster in because, as you know, pools generally have bottoms to them. So it's hard to yes. you know to be to conceal a monster. But they were talking about the kind of it was kind of funny. This is again, this is the only thing I found engaging in the whole panel. Talking about the idea that the movie kind of came from the idea of like kids see Jaws and then get scared of being in the pool, even though that's not the ocean. You know, you're still kind of scared of being in the water just from when you're a kid watching Jaws. And they were like, "What if there was also a monster in the pool?" Um, right. It was. I guess it was based on a short, which I can, you know, I can see the concern. Well, bodes well that this movie <laughs> looks like it's nearly two hours long. It's <laughs> really an oh, hour boy. fifty-six. Wow. Yeah. Um, they have to really have to prove that it was that wasn't just a short. It looked the trailer did look cool, <laughs> and this they, is a long. Yeah, yeah, this is a long. It's the, in the genre of long. 
Uh, it, I mean, it was definitely the movie of the three where I was like, it sounded the silliest at the outset, and then uh, of the three, I was like, oh, that looks that looks fun. I don't know. So I it looks like, like it's a like supernatural a monster type monster, not like a shark or something. Yeah, like, it has there's to be. like yeah, it a ghost be, yeah. in the pool or there's something. There's like, there's a shot from like from beneath one of the people and it's like further down than any real pool would be so there's clearly a kind of like oh at night this thing happens so that you're there's you know something emerges i don't know it looked fun well that sounds cool it also reminds me remember did your local pool have like oh god i guess it was called adult swim every um hour on the hour for 15 minutes and i feel like that's a good premise where yeah during the adult swim or during the uh, yeah one of those two things during one of those bad things happen <laughs> get get a pen, get a pen. We're writing yeah. this down. Yeah, that's right. Night adult swim two, night yeah. swim two, adult swim. Yeah, it's very good. Um, all right, enough pitching, enough pitching. We'll move on. Um, oh, the box office story I really wanted to talk about it wasn't really Exorcist, so let's circle back. It's the Saw X hold, Jesse. Yes, we didn't talk about the Saw X hold. So this is something that I was kind of wrong about, but kind of right about in hindsight. Right, so I had the very bullish prediction that Saw X was going to open higher than any other one because America has Jigsaw Fever. Yes. So I would say part one of that was wrong. Yes. It did not open higher than than 32. It opened at, what, like 18? But yeah. Jigsaw Fever absolutely panned out. And <laughs> we talked about this on the Saw X episode, how the box office stuff, we, we were talking about it. We said, we don't know what's going to happen. This has never happened before where there's a positively reviewed Saw movie out there that isn't just critics love it. It's audiences love it. Everyone's talking about it. Jigsaw Fever did happen. In week three, Saw X dropped 27% from last yes. week. Yes. How, how can – I don't know how – like if there's you can't like Scott Mendelson this right now and give me other examples. I don't need that. But like talk about how drastic – well, a, yeah, I mean, I can yeah. talk about how I think maybe the first Saw had some, I mean, that was, it was kind of, was sort of a, you know, word of word mouth, of mouth phenomenon. Movie. Yeah, yes. it did pretty well in its first weekend, to be sure, but it, it, it was one of those horror movies where that often happens on the first part, and it's hard to get back for the sequel, where it really had pretty, you know, it, it like, legged out, as, as, as Mendelssohn would say, um, and since then, the sequels have been, like, super quick kill, like, you know, open huge, drop sixty percent, then drop seventy percent. I mean, like, because these and things it's are fine. It's the budget the model. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's it. They they know it's a one weekend thing. It's it's come out Halloween weekend and get people in there really fast, and they they spend thirty million dollars on it, and then it you know it does okay enough to to get to turn a really uh, strong profit. But because they would come out, I think partially because they would come out on Halloween weekend. And, like, who wants to go see this movie in, like, mid-November? You know, no one. You want to go see it in... No, you, you want to see yeah. Terrifier 2. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this one came out a month before. And also, it is one of the best ones in a while. And I think people are... I think you're right. People are coming back to this and saying, oh, yeah, this is actually good. In fact, my, my cousin was over here. My younger cousin. And I think she's seen some of these, but she's not like a saw expert. She's not a jigsaw head. And she was like, she and her friends had like heard this one was good and were like interested in seeing it. So there is definitely some horror fan word of mouth saying, hey, this one's actually pretty good. And this is already has made more than Spiral. It's already more than made more than Saw 6, which is I think this is the best one since Saw 6. And it's already made more than that one. That one is one of the inexplicably one of the lowest grossing ones. Well, um, it makes sense. I mean, it just it just happens to be funny that that one ha- is good. 
Yeah. Because I feel like people were kind of let down by four and five, maybe. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. People it, it reacted by not sense. showing yeah. up to six, right? Yeah. And then six happened to be good, but people yeah. didn't realize that until later. Right? Yeah. Um, it's already made more than Jigsaw, the the kind of one-off sort yeah, of sequel. Yeah, 65 worldwide for a movie that cost, uh, I think the reported budget's 13. So it's made five times its budget by weekend three. Yeah. It's going to pass the, the seventh one, Saw 3D, which had a little bit of a 3D bump. And, you know, it might not pass the original Saw, which it, which came at 55 domestic, and, and Saw 5 is 56. You know, the, the, the kind of... 50 to fifty to 70 is sort of the reasonable range for a hit saw movie. There have been a couple that were bigger, but you right. can't really And keep that. in mind, the budgets for those were mostly under 10, for, yeah. I feel like. Oh, yeah. And like yeah. probably under 5, even, for yeah. some of them. Yeah. Um, so this one is, is really going to be one of the, certainly the highest grossing saw movie in a long time. And it's going to, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, like the fourth or fifth highest grossing one overall, something like that, which is uh, pretty strong for a 10th movie. Um, similar to how I would say it's like the, maybe the fifth best one overall, something like that. So it's a, it's a very solid success. And yeah, it does like for them to have a 27% week drop. I don't know if they've had a 27% week drop at all since the first one, like ever in this, in this whole series. There's no way there might be one, you know, some straight, maybe weekend five to weekend six of saw three or something might've randomly been somehow a 27, but probably not. Yeah. This is probably their lowest, uh, weekend drop maybe actually ever because even saw, saw as well as it did i'm actually looking it up as we speak uh so as well as it did wasn't like posting smile style like so yeah you know saw, saw had like drops of like 40 percent a weekend for a few weekends which is very good for a horror movie and 27 is yeah horror movies of. drop between 50 and like 75 yeah like they yeah. dropped huge well yeah even the exorcist drop is 58 all in that's not for a movie that was fairly reviled, 58% yeah. is kind of nothing. Yeah, that's fine. It's pretty like, good. Yeah. It's like, again, that's just, horror always wins, even when it's poorly reviewed. <laughs> and yeah. it's Halloween season. Like, people are showing up. Exorcist did well all week, in fact. It was yeah, doing I, well. Well, I think part of it, too, is the studios have gotten a little wiser. Saw had this weird trend of, like, you open your one horror movie the weekend of Halloween or the weekend before. And I think people are now a little wiser, too. Like, oh, hey, if we open these... In September, October, they actually play like the whole month, and that's Saw Saw X is yeah, definitely and, feeling that. And Saw X is going to get be allegedly released at home. I think the rumor is on the twentieth, okay. and it might. I would imagine since it's not confirmed, they could hold that. But I would. There's no way in hell it's not out at home by Halloween. Yeah, and that is going to lead to maybe more money than the fucking box office run. Like I don't know yeah. how much money those things make. Uh, things make at home. But it's going to be big. Yeah. People, a lot of people are going to watch it at home. So I think they really nailed it in terms of this. Uh, moving the release date was smart. I think, uh, yeah, letting it be out out by uh, Halloween at home was smart. There's so many. The marketing was insane, as we talked about. Like, I really felt it that it was going to be big. Uh, so here's the latest rumors that have no confirmation anywhere. Lionsgate allegedly, according to a random Twitter account, has greenlit two more. And Saw 11 will be a prequel, and 12 will conclude the saga again, starting from the, <laughs> starting from the seventh movie, and maybe ending the Hoffman storyline. So, wait, didn't Hoffman die? Yeah, I don't remember when he died. I appreciate sure his storyline was point. ended in his death, but okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Saw franchise, my friend. No, nobody is truly dead. I want to see Carrie resurrected with her ribs hanging out. Like, <laughs> still happen somehow. Um. I, I there's no doubt 
to me. I think Josh Stolberg, the writer of this one and other ones, has said that like he's already written eleven, and I'm sure it's already happening. The mecha- I'm, I'm sure the things are in motion for that to happen. But to be clear, nothing confirmed yet. But do you hope, like I do, that they kind of stay in this window for sequels and just keep making them that are like between one and two? They, they keep <laughs> slicing it finer and finer, like because you yeah. can cut something in half forever. Um, I mean, there's no I, reason not to, right? You could yeah, infinite amount of time. I in think it's, one it would be super. I mean, again, who knows if that rumor is true, but it would be super premature to bring it back just to end it after a couple more, unless you really are going to do some kind of, you know, further sequels would really be like a reboot or something completely different, which they've tried before and not not done. I mean, not, I wouldn't say Spiral is completely different, but it definitely doesn't involve Jigsaw. Um, so yeah, I would. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do some more. John Kramer adventures before his demise, but um, you know maybe they feel like they can only get away with that for so long. <laughs> well, they're definitely gonna milk it and try. There's no way in hell they don't break, do another Kramer jigsaw after this. Yeah, like yeah. it was clearly, as I said, Kramer fever, jigsaw fever. It's real. All right, that's all the box office stuff. The big news of the week: we teased it last week that there was this Halloween fire sale, so to speak. The franchise rights were up for sale, and allegedly. A24 was really, really vying for them. And this comes at the time. Did you read that article, Jesse, that was talking about? I forget where it was because Umberto Gonzalez also wrote one for the rap. But there was there was another one. But basically, just like how private equity firms kind of ruin everything now when they buy stuff and then kind of strip it for parts and uh, everything is sacrificed at the altar of growth and making more money. So in 2022, A24 got $225 million from a private equity company. And allegedly, that is what is sparking this movement where, if I don't know if you've been reading the trades, everybody, but A24 is expanding their strategy from art house stuff, you know, movies that basically don't make money is what is the read here. They're, they're trying to expand from movies that don't make money to movies that do make money. Interesting trying, strategy. Yeah, I don't know if it'll pay off, but they're going to try. So they're trying to make more commercial stuff. And I think the article that first came out said that they're looking for like big action stuff and IP specifically. De-emphasize traditional character slash auteur-driven dramas. Basically, fuck everything you know about A24 and why you like it. Let's just right. make movies that make money. So, you know, whatever. It's funny when you realize it's really just a, um, a ca- private equity thing also. Like, everything yeah. is that nowadays. Like, everyone's like, why is this happening? And you read the article. It's like, oh. That's why it's happening. Yeah. Um, but they're always trying to find a way to reinvent themselves, blah, blah, blah. This is what's going on. Most recently, Bo is Afraid lost them $35 million, allegedly. That's the figure. So, like, it's citing all these, you know, that movie was never going to make money, and we knew that, but that's the price you pay in the old, you know, they, they're, they're functioning like an old-fashioned studio in that they're letting artists do the one-for-you, one-for-me thing and taking risks that they know aren't going to pay off. But that might all be over but that's a side conversation because they were vying for the rights for halloween and the news is this week jesse they lost and they lost to miramax which already owns the film rights in conjunction with Troncus entertainment excuse me Troncus international films the company that's run by malik akkad so now miramax has the television rights and the film rights which means they're plotting a cinematic universe and not to be like, there's, I have no intel here, but I think people are reading into that too much and getting mad where it's like thinking about like the Marvel universe or something. I feel like it's more just 
they're going to make a TV show and they're going to make a movie that is takes place in the same world. But I guess maybe that is what people don't want. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think a TV series is, you know, diminishing of the value of things. I think Star Wars has really proven that more than anything on Earth. Like they took a incredible billion that multi-billion dollar theatrical brand and made it into several TV shows I'll never watch. I just can't believe it. And I'm not super interested in a Halloween TV series featuring Michael Myers or whatever, but jointly controlling both of them will allow them to map out their integrated film TV universe. So how could you be mad? Um, I don't know. How do you feel about this? I mean, yeah, I, I, Star Wars is like a thing where there's tons of space to do things. No pun intended, I guess. Um, what are you, the it, fucking Hollywood reporter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like his always, you know, I, 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 I don't feel as much that the Star Wars TV shows devalue the brand of Star Wars. There have been Star Wars TV shows like actually for years and like people didn't pay attention to them because they were cartoons. And now when they do things in live action, people are like, they're doing things like for the cartoons and it's like yeah that's what the shows have been always like it's right like, to me it makes a lot of sense but like halloween next they're gonna write paperback novels that have nothing to do right with right i was like what you're gonna have to read a book now and it's like yeah they do this all the time that's like what this it's you yeah. don't have to follow it you could just like, i mean like you you for example are like i'm not that interested in that stuff so i'm not gonna watch stuff which makes a lot of sense why would you spend your time watching something you're not interested in uh, Halloween, it is a question of, like, so who would be interested? And I guess there are the Halloween heads out there who go to, like, the conventions and, you know, watch all the movies every year and all that. But, like, well, yeah, what do you do with the Halloween TV series? Like, unless you were doing something really cool. You know what I would love to see them do is continue the Season of the Witch idea and do an anthology series. Oh, fuck yeah. You know, fuck Halloween yeah. stories, you know, every you know every week for an hour. Get Tom uh, Atkins back. Yeah, that's right. Get Atkins back. Uh, I do not think this is what they will do, though. I think they'll do something with Michael Myers and, like, the people, the family of the victims of Michael Myers. I just, like, yeah. We'll I get think... a whole episode uh, that's basically the, the dinner table, the, the breakfast table scene from the Rob Zombie. We yeah. talk about flappy tits. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole episode yeah, of now. Of course. It was the thing, like, I think those David Gordon Green movies and the Rob Zombie movies do an interesting idea of, like, you know, expanding that universe out a little bit beyond just, like, Michael Myers and the people he kills, even though that is essentially what they're about. Um, so, like, I, I don't know where you go further to make, like, oh, like, the Haddonfield, the series. Like, that's what Halloween ends and Halloween kills kind of are already. So I'm kind of like, I mean, that doesn't stop people from doing things again or doing them worse. But it's, it's puzzling. And, it, you know, it's too bad that A24 didn't get them only because... I feel like if you are trying to make the more commercial A24 stuff going in a horror direction where it's like, okay, they have their kind of, they're, they're kind of known as doing kind of heady, you know, smart horror movies. So if they're kind of applying that to Halloween or to some other, you know, franchise or whatever, I could see that being a way for them to branch out rather than this kind of like, oh, we're going to make action IP. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to fucking get DC Comics? Like, you're going to get, you're going to get a uh, Marvel? Like, no. So like, what's the point? Like, yeah. horror is something, at least that's an area where they're sort of known as people like A24 horror movies and they're generally do quite well. Um, so it's just so goofy to me, the idea that they would like be pursuing, you know, what Thundercats or what the fuck I like, <laughs> but Halloween does kind of, that is kind of a fit. Like, I feel like the, maybe I'm being overly lofty cause I like these movies, but I feel like the David Gordon Green Halloween movies are kind of A24 ish or they movies. are, they are uh, absolutely. I was just wondering, yeah, what does an A24 Halloween look like? Yeah, Not that yeah. it matters anymore cause they lost, but yeah. 
It would be very they, interesting. They should poach that. David Gordon Green and have him not do Exorcist sequels. Instead, have them him do a horror movie for them. But that just of course is keeps not doing that. Halloween movies forever yeah, just for more some of reason. Them. Yeah. yeah, that'd be really yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Miramax has the rights. If you remember, Miramax had the rights for a spell. Uh, I feel like Miramax made the ones people really don't like. I feel like Miramax made yes. um, Resurrection, didn't yeah. they? They made H two O and Resurrection, and they I think they made Dimension made um, the zombie ones as well. Did, oh, yeah. I think they're even credited as, as co co on the um, the Universal ones, the Blumhouse ones. Probably That's because right. they had to license them for them or something. That's you know, right. I don't know what That's it's, right. It's, it's that is mess. right. It is a mess, but yeah, Miramax does like own part of it with Trancus International, uh, and I guess they lent it out to Blumhouse for three movies. Like uh, Exorcist got that deal for three movies with. Uh, Morgan Creek and NBC or whatever, whatever uh, Universal, excuse me. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, Halloween, the, the rights are back at Miramax. Miramax is planning on making TV that will go in conjunction with a new movie. So, you know, David Gordon Green's trilogy's over. They're going to bring back Michael Myers in a new way. I wonder what it'll be. You know how us horror fans are. We're excited regardless. We just want to see more. And on that front, let's get to cracking on the Friday 13th and uh nightmare on elm street and all that shit let's get pay england his fee whatever he wants (laughs) you give england 10 million dollars or whatever and you make another one of those if you're going to do it anyway uh on the vhs front there's always uh a new vhs movie every year now thanks to shutter and that will continue next year with vhs uh i don't know if i was trying to find a title but they don't have one it is vhs future edition vhs (laughs) sci-fi horror it's basically uh vhs in space they're doing a look forward instead of look backward i think the last one this one's 85 and they did 94 and 99 um i don't know i feel like the the shutter budgets have really made them less good for me uh which also happened with the creep show tv show and stuff like that there's not a lot of money going around i don't know if they have the the chutzpah to to make a really good sci-fi one of these, but I'll uh, be watching it. Sure. I'll be, I'll be watching it. Uh, Lisa Frankenstein, the Diablo Cody horror comedy starring Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse, uh, written by Diablo Cody. Lisa Frankenstein has a release date of February 9th, 2024. There's a little teaser that's out. It's a focus feature, Jesse. Um, Carla Gugino's in it. Set in 1989, the film follows an unpopular high school girl, who accidentally reanimates a handsome Victorian corpse during a lightning storm and starts to rebuild him into the man of her dreams using the broken tanning bed in her garage. A coming-of-rage love story. I like the sound of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Diablo Cody hasn't made something in a while. Is this true? I believe that's true. I don't know if she... I don't think she even had, like, a TV show. I think her last one that she wrote was... um... At least the last big one she wrote was Tully, which I really love. Oh, Um, God. That movie was so good with a... Un- unforgettable surprise twist that I did yes. not see coming. What a movie. Terrific. Diablo Cody, she's great. Uh, yeah, Young Adult's good. I just didn't like... I don't like Jennifer's body as much oh, as Oh, really? I really like it yeah. a lot. It's it's not, like, super scary, but I think it's really good. I just really love it. I rewatched it with the lens of everyone thinks this is a classic now, and I felt the same way I did when I saw it opening night, which was, like, two and a half. <laughs> like, oh, uh, man, fine. I- yeah, I was I was I have to say I have to say I was in and I was into that movie from the jump. I saw it opening night and was like, this is really good. And it took a long time for the world to to catch up with it. But I like it a lot. Um, 
And I like the idea of her doing something sort of, you know, I can see that I'm a little worried that it's going to be so many years later that it's going to come back, you know, it's going to feel like warmed over, you know, like a warmed over follow up to Jennifer's body. But I'm hope I'm hoping I really do like Diablo Cody's writing a lot. So I'm hoping that this is a good one. Well, speaking of warmed over, we have a lot of information about the Strangers trilogy <laughs> that is coming from Rennie Harlan yes. that stars Riverdale's Madeline Petch. Yes. Uh, and a bunch of other people I haven't heard of. So why riddle me this, Jesse? Why didn't you make time for the <laughs> the Comic Con panel on the Strangers trilogy? I, you know, I forget if they invited me as press. <laughs> they might have, and I might have just been like, Jesus Christ, I can't do this anymore. Um, I was only there for one day. I think I'm. I think it was the day that they were doing it. I think I was busy seeing if I could slip into the Ewan McGregor Q and A, and I could not. Um, but I did overhear people talking about it. It was the talk of the con, by which I mean two guys who were at the table I was sitting at had mini posters from it. Mm. Um, yeah, they're all done, I'm, I'm to understand. They're, they're so, like... yeah, very strange. Jesse and I were very skeptical reporting secondhand when we were talking about this. Like, The Strangers is allegedly coming. It's a trilogy. Rennie Harlan's apparently doing all three of them. And apparently that was all true, and it's shot and done. And The Strangers Chapter 1 is coming first, followed by Chapter 2 and 3. Um, really bold strategy. Yeah, yeah, good, good, smart. Um, so there's this breakdown of the panel that I don't want to read, but thankfully, Bloody Disgusting had bolded some stuff. So I'm going to read the bold and hope that it's important. <laughs> so I'll just read it all for the beginning because I want to hear what Harlan actually has to say. The original film is one of my all-time favorite horror films, and that's what's so incredible about it is that it feels so real. There's nothing supernatural about it. It's just two people in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the randomness of the violence that they experience is so powerful. And it just plays in that very human feeling of safety and security and being able to have some kind of control over your life. It always stayed with me. And when Cortman Solomon, the producer, sent me the script, I opened it, and it was 280 pages long. I thought he lost his mind. I read it and was just blown away. I called him, like, this is incredible, but what? It's 280. And he said, yes, we wanted to make three movies. That's when I understood the whole scope of this, and that the idea here was to have a first movie that basically is a fairly faithful remake of the original, but seen now in today's world, 15, 16 years later. Um, that's interesting. Didn't know anybody, any of that. Um, uh, I think that myself included, a lot of fans of original all, all these years were asking, why? Why did this happen? Who are these senseless killers? Who are they? Why are they doing this? The original movie ends with them just driving away. And you're like, what? Buddy, that's the whole reason it works, is it not? <laughs> it's crazy that he's talking about this, talking himself into doing a trilogy to explain, presumably, what these people are doing. Like, the whole mystery, or the whole mystique, excuse me, of that movie, is it is they ask, like, what are you doing here? Or why are you here? And they... Why are you doing this? And the answer is what? Because you were home or something? Yeah, because you were home. Ooh. <laughs> and like, yeah, chills. You go, wow, this is random. Violence is truly random. There's no meaning to it. That's what's scary. So I'm pretty annoyed to be reading this. That he's... <laughs> okay, anyway. To be able to make three movies where we start exploring the reasons. Because even if the census acts of violence happen in our world, happen all the time, there's got to be some reason behind it. So not to trivialize it or spell it out too much, but the second and third movies are an exploration of where did this come from. More than anything, they are the exploration of what could happen to a person, in this case, a young woman, who is the victim of such senseless violence. What does that do to you mentally and physically? That sounds like Halloween too, Rob Zombie. Uh, the, the effects of trauma, or any, or any modern horror movie, I guess. Um, I can't wait to make the next three movies because I think that we do something so interesting here personally. I can't wait to see where it goes after this. So we're saying there's going to be more. Well, fucking relax, buddy. You made three. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. I would say it's one cohesive story 
the main character is Madeline Petch, who is the star of the first movie. We'll continue on to the second and third movie. It's her journey. Are you interested in three three Madeline Petch films? I do enjoy her work on Riverdale, uh, or I have enjoyed her work on Riverdale. It's it's also a little weird to call your shot ahead of time and be like, the final girl survives. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and- he said too much. He was too excited. The panel, you made the right decision by not going to this panel where Rennie Harlan just revealed everything about these movies. Um, Jesse, do you remember a while back, this movie was screening often in Jersey City. I got emails about it all the time. There's a movie, a horror movie starring Pete Davidson that he left SNL to film for a few weeks. Uh, it's called, oh. the, remember that? It's called The Home. Okay. Yeah. I James DeMonico, the, the Purge guy, directed it. Okay. Um, it has a fish finally closed the deal. Apparently, they didn't have a, distribu- a distributor. So now Lionsgate bought that movie. Oh, the film was made by Miramax, and it screened for buyers outside competition at TIFF. Um, and it took until now, uh, until a deal happened. Lionsgate bought it. The deal closed after the exit of Miramax CEOs uh, last week. I don't know if he was holding up the deal or what. Um, the deal comes right as you know Pete Davidson returned to SNL to host. But The Home is a movie, if I remember, it's about an old folks' home. Hold on one second. Uh, Davidson will play Max, a troubled man who starts working at a retirement home and realizes its residents and caretakers harbor sinister secrets. Yo, what's this old person got going on? That's my Pete impression. That was very bad. That wasn't good. At least it didn't sound like Daniel Plainview, but it wasn't very good. Do you got a Pete impression? Lay it on. No, not at all. Uh, But I would say I, I was watching him on SNL on Saturday, and... He, he, he did some stand-up, and I'd, I'd only really seen his stand-up via Weekend Update before. You know, he would come on and do, like, a, a de facto stand-up piece. He's like, yeah, yeah. hey, it's Pete Davidson. I'm myself. Yeah. I'm famous. <laughs> well, like, the stand-up, the voices he was doing in his stand-up, like, his kind of proper stand-up, sounded more like what you just said. It sounded much more like Adam Sandler and also more Staten Islandy than he does in his kind of casual Weekend Update. It was very weird. So it was, like, a little more, a little more heightened, I would say. I was like, I does he really sound like this? This is weird. It's weird stuff. Well, how do you feel about a Pete Davidson horror film? Sure, I like I like him. I don't know if he has that much. Rain. I'm hoping he'll be his character Chad from SNL, where he's just like, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, walking around, just okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, haunted house treatment to a retirement home, I think, is inspired, yeah. and I hope it's good. But James DeMonico is not like my favorite filmmaker. He's made like what six or seven movies in that franchise that I think all of them are almost there, but not quite there. Uh, the, that the Purge franchise yeah. is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Exorcist TV show, which a lot of people pointed out after the sequel opened and people didn't like it. Well, just go watch the 2016 TV show from Fox. It lasted two seasons, and it's a really good sequel to the movie. Uh, and it's impossible to find, I feel like, so you can't really do that. But uh, Bloody Disgusting thankfully posted a nice little article to tell me that you can buy the Exorcist bundle Seasons one and two on Vudu, the retail price Jesse is sixty dollars on sale right now for five dollars for both seasons. Wow. So I bought them in hopes that one day I will watch it. But uh, I just wanted to give a get a heads up to anyone who cares. Both seasons of the show for five bucks on Vudu right now. Uh, I mentioned Creep Shows out season four. Haven't watched it yet. Check out Shutter. Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Loved it. Love Mike Flanagan, the new Mike Flanagan. It's a poe adaptation with modern bite. 
are you watching this? Does your wife watching this? My wife is watching it and, and really enjoying it. I, because I've been sick and busy, I watched well, the first one and then fell asleep during the second one and then woke up and there was an orgy happening. Um, <laughs> and then saw a really gnarly scene at the end of the second episode. Oh, did you see the, like, the acid rain scene? Or yeah, whatever? I was like, what? Yeah, dude, um, and it's I, I, dark. Yeah, it is. And I've seen bits of some of the subsequent ones. She's like on, I think, uh, four or five episodes. Uh, and I've probably seen like 40% of what she's watched so far. I'm just in and out of it. I just don't have time. But I am like, I think it's cool. What I've seen is cool. And I'm kind of enjoying half following it. Um, I don't really love some of his, I think his dialogue writing is like a bit much. He definitely has this like, has like a lot of like writerly flourishes. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people bash his monologue writing. Yeah. yeah, and his monologue, especially when he's writing like brash characters, it all sounds like David Simon bullshit to me. Like, you know, you fuck baggery tit bat, you know, like, you know, they're kind of like <laughs> annoying, like stupid swears, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but like. I was. I'm still enjoying it. I love the look of it. It is. And then, like, uh, you know, I, I saw that that like orgy scene. And I was like, this is genuinely fucked up. Like, in a yes. way that I feel like I haven't seen in a while. So I, I, I definitely, I, yeah, I recommend it despite not actually watching it myself. I was surprised by that. Also, like Flanagan having sexy stuff in it, and also he's there's a lot of humor, dark humor that I don't associate with him. That's uh-huh. in this in the show. Really enjoyed it. But as far as catching up on movies. I am so jealous that Jesse caught When Evil Lurks in a movie theater because I watched it at home and I found it very affecting. And I want to hear what your theatrical experience was like. Were you, were you one of four people in there? That's my guess. Um, there were more than four, I think. Uh, this was okay. a weird experience because I went out to see the Royal Hotel, which I had not Oh, yeah. Missed. We could also talk about that, I suppose. Yeah, it's a thriller. It's uh, I went to go see that movie. It's the movie where um, it's follow-up to The Assistant by Kitty Green, which I really loved. And it's her reunited with Julia Garner. They're going to do a little DiCaprio Scorsese action, I hope, um, about backpackers who get a job in the kind of the Australian remote Australian city at a, like a roadhouse type of bar. And it's interesting. I heard it first heard it compared to Green Room, and I'm glad that people dispelled me of that because I would have been so disappointed if I thought I was oh, going to yeah. watch something like Green Room and watch this movie. More um, like Kitty Green Room. Yeah, yeah, Kitty Green Room. Um, but. Because it's not as intense as that, but it's sort of about this growing sense of unease this woman feels as she's working with these, you know, working near these, you know, kind of aggressive men where you're sort of unsure if they're just like, oh, it's just boys being boys, or if there's really is kind of something menacing behind them. And the answer kind of is both, uh, you know, they, some of them are really quite potentially dangerous. And so it's kind of a psychological thriller more than a, like, green room style, like, which is really an action kind of a horror thriller. Um Anyway, I don't mean to get a soundtrack out of the movie, but I really, I really enjoyed that one. I was, I had, I had missed the screening and I missed the preview of it, and I, so I went out like on a Sunday night after. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't. Well, we should, I guess. Oh god, I forgot. Yeah, I saw Saw the musical, guys. So I'll, I can tell you a little <laughs> bit about that um, at the end, maybe. Um, after seeing Saw the musical, I was like, I'm already out. Like I, I've already missed the kids' bedtime, uh, so I'm gonna go to the movie. So I went to see the Royal Hotel and really liked it. And then I went across the street in Times Square to get a burger. And five guys like, yeah five guys and uh it took it's, yeah it's really good i like i mean i'm more of a shake shack like loyalist. Ugh. 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 <laughs> i love i love five guys though it's it's very it's very delicious um it took i just thought like oh, i'll just grab some dinner and then head home 
and because uh, Royal Hotel is nice, trim, ninety minute, like tight, really t- man. That movie is yeah. like, tight as a drum. There's like not I a think wasted it moment in that movie. Took me till minute like fifty four to be like, oh my god, that is Hugo Weaving. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, that's oh, actually what the thr- That's why it's a thriller. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's Hugo Weaving. Um, <laughs> he's uh, he's he's great in it. So I was I was pretty jazzed because the movie was good, and then it took a little longer than I expected to get my burger, and I was just I don't know I think I was just like looking at movie times to see when I might see what evil lurks later in the week or something, trying to figure it out, and I was like, uh, it's playing at nine thirty, and it's like nine twenty three right now, and I just got my food, so I just rolled back into the AMC Empire with my burger and fries, plop CC down. Lex G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Copyright. Yeah, you must. I yeah, <laughs> I must acknowledge. Uh, with and sat down uh, in like the second row, ate a burger, watched <laughs> perfect movie to eat, watch while eating, watch when evil lurks because I realized I wouldn't have time to to probably see it if I waited. So I just did kind of an impromptu double feature. I really had no inkling that I was going to watch a second movie until like five minutes before the movie started, um, which was cool. Um, yeah, and so, I don't know, it was for a 9.30 on a Sunday evening, I feel like there were, like, 10 other people there, 12 other people there. In Times Square, you're never alone, even if you really want to be. It's true. Um, but, yeah, uh, this is, uh, When Evil Lurks is a, so I, it's interesting, people have talked about it as a possession movie, and that's definitely what makes it sort of novel, right? Because it, it's a very different approach, as you mentioned, I think, on our Exorcist episode, yeah. to the possession subgenre, because it's almost more like a, possession slash zombie movie it's like kind of both of those things right it's yeah of, sure it's like it's you, you there's a lot of information that they don't tell you up front you're sort of set down in this world where the something is happening that is kind of like a zombie outbreak in the sense of like it's sort of vaguely post-apocalyptic they keep talking about the rotten or that's who they refer yes. to the people who have been possessed and that kind of sounds like a zombie euphemism but it's not zombies it's sort of a, a d- demonic possession that causes people to sort of bloat rot. and rot. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. They look. They all look like Brendan Fraser in the whale. By the yes, end. Yes. Yeah. The, the, well, then the first thing you really your first exposure to this is you see someone who's been possessed for a long time, and are haven't been able. They haven't been They're able. Like, to They're like fucking kill me. It's <laughs> so gross. It's so amazingly gross. Yeah. Um, Great actually, practical practical makeup looks. Yeah, amazing. it's really terrific makeup effects. It kind of primed me for a movie that was actually going to be more gross than this movie really was. Which I I don't. It's fine that I wasn't puking up my Five Guys, but I thought after watching <laughs> this, like, oh, this is gonna be like like if this is the first ten minutes, this is gonna be an endurance test. Um, and it's not exactly. It's still it's pretty grueling, but not in a not quite in that like really gross out intense you know you know gag reflex way. Um, but the idea is that you, if these things, not only when people are possessed, that what they, you know, what you want to do or you w- would want to do is, is have to kill them or kind of mercy kill them. But if you kill them with a gun, uh, you can get possessed and then kill other people. And if uh, you are exposed to them for too long, you will also get possessed and kill people. So it's this kind of weird body disposal or like, you know, weird. You got to call problem. a cleaner or whatever they say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as Jesse's saying, it does start to become like by the end, just eight simple rules for killing my teenage daughter. And it just starts, (laughs) it just starts listing these things. But I, the, the world in which they, like it works in the movie because the movie is always one step ahead of you and teasing you with information. And I actually like the way that they doled it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's such a, um, a danger in that technique in 
withholding too much and having it be really affected like so to keep stuff from the audience people in the movie just don't talk about things that they would talk about and this movie does a really nice job of avoiding that pitfall like there it doesn't ever feel like the movie is talking around things you know it's just it's something that's accepted in the movie this is something that people are dealing with so you're not going to get a lot of exposition about it uh, for at least at first but you're also not going to get that kind of annoying like elliptical on purpose like why would anyone not mention you know these things like it's it's just dealt with in a very matter-of-fact way which means not explaining things all the time but also not avoiding talking about them um which i really appreciate so it really it does work very well it, it's as it goes on i did kind of feel like i was i was really in, i was really with it for the first 45 minutes to an hour and like i was like this is really cool and and scary um, there's a bit with some children that is really fucked up and, uh, intense. As it went on, I did kind of feel like I was losing, like, as it, almost, as it explained more, it becomes more confusing to me a little bit, like, how things work and why they work and what, what possible, you know, yeah. recourse the people, the people who are sort of the good guys in the movie, they're sort of on the run from the, from, from a demon spirit, but it becomes to me increasingly unclear what, you're supposed to be able to do about this even as they are people are rattling off these things that you supposedly can and can't do um so in the last half hour it's only a 90 minute movie in the last half hour i started feeling like uh i don't know i feel like this is is played out and doesn't know it yet <laughs> like mm. um but i did i mean like i'm still very much thumbs up on it i thought it was there are very such effective. yeah there are such mean and nasty ideas in this movie in addition to images in this movie like there are some haunting, hideous, base, some of the most base upsetting images I've ever seen. Yeah. But then it also has, like, what I would say is borderline offensive to some people. Like, the idea of, like, an autistic person being possessed. And, like, the fact that the demon can't navigate their mind. Yes, and yes. I, like, I love that. I thought that yeah. was so clever. And, like, wow, what a unique new way into possession that i'm sure i'm sure other movies have gotten there before i just i can't i can't recall it and i thought that was like bold to like make that nasty choice like everything yeah. the movie does is kind of just like mean in its own way yes. and it there was such this one moment i'm not gonna ruin it but the anticipation of that moment because you know that like this thing is possessed and the the way the movie teases it out like you've got this possessed thing next to this something else you know what I'm talking yes. about, right? Yep. Like I don't yep. want to talk about it. Yep. But yes. like you know when you're watching it, it's just like I can't even describe the feeling cuz you have like the your 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 gut sinks or whatever, your heart goes in your throat, whatever that expression is. Cuz you're like, well, I know what they're setting up, but a movie wouldn't possibly be this mean. Like there's no way that it would follow through on that threat. And then it does, and it goes goes on for like so much longer than I thought it would. Like uh the, with the, I think they end up having like a little practical dummy of what's going on. So yes. like he's running around. I, I I'm truly talking around it because it was so shocking. But I would say that is like the movie taking two movie taboos and putting them together. Like people hate when you do this in a movie, and people also hate when you do this in a movie. So what if we did them at the same time? And I couldn't believe that I was seeing that move. That really you know kicked it up yeah. a notch for me into just like oh nothing is off limits in this movie. And it also is a great showcase for the gnarly practical effects of that moment. And that comes up throughout. There's like a nasty car crash face practical effect thing, I remember. Uh -huh. um, there's the axe to the face early on. There's, of course, the practical nasty fat guy with scabs and pus 
So this movie's got body horror. It's got possession horror. It's got child endangerment that makes Hereditary and Talk to Me seem tame. It is, as far as horror movies go, I would say it goes very hard. It does. And you have to hand it to him. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I felt to the end. Even though I was felt less with if it just starts to feel a little dirgy at the end of sort of like a little dirgy and hopeless. Um, I do kind of feel like, well, you, you know, they're, they're committed to this and it's pretty well realized, even though it's not my, that's not my favorite um, uh, approach to horror movies. I feel like this one really, this one does a good job with it. It's, 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 I don't know. There's something about it. That's very compelling and weird. Yeah. Really great movie in theaters. Now via shutter. Thank you. Shutter for putting this in theaters. It's, wider than you think when i was in my hometown for a spell last week it was there it was at my local theater i couldn't believe it um but it will be on shutter october 27th so if you can't make it out definitely check it out then all right jesse what's next uh what else have we seen totally killer from blumhouse yes the totally killer from blumhouse now this is a movie that i like left blank on letterboxd because it was embargoed and then came back after the embargo and i had absolutely nothing to say (laughs) because it had been two weeks and very forgettable movie in my opinion but what i do remember kiernan shipka is so charming that i that i almost give this movie a pass and say you should watch it and i still kind of feel like you should watch it just because it's like mildly amusing fun enough but it's just not it's not inspiring in the slasher department and it's not particularly inspiring in the time travel department either so when you when you when you when you say that what are you left with and yeah that's you true. you go <laughs> no i agree i mean i i think it's it's not quite bad enough to just say ah don't even think about it if you're in the mood for a facsimile of happy death day or probably even more so happy death day to you the one that actually has time travel uh or freaky from the same from christopher landon this is, you know, it's a passable attempt, I guess. It's, but it, nothing about it is is particularly well done. I wouldn't say it's especially funny. It's not especially scary, and the time travel stuff is okay, but it's introduced so clumsily. Like it's just the they really have trouble with the kind of heightened reality of the movie, which I think Happy Death Day does so well. The kind of, I mean, because time loops I think are more familiar, are easier to ease yourself into because. We're familiar with like Groundhog Day and how people react and like they don't believe it at first and you just kind of have to get through that and then there's a kind of the kind of repetitive structure gives you a sort of uh, you know something to latch onto and you also don't have to deal too much with the mechanics of it. It's just like you die and wake up in the same you know and you wake up in the same place. That's that's like as much as that's fantastical, it's also very easy to picture. You know, you could picture that happening to you, even though it couldn't happen. The time travel and totally killer is less elegant. Uh, it has like a friend dropping, uh, like, well, you know, I was actually working on a time machine and you're like, which what? isn't like <laughs> as a bit is fine, but when it's your, it's crucial to the plot, it is yeah, a little taxing. It's short. so yeah. uh, like, it just immediately takes you out of it and say, okay, so we're, this is not going to be a great culture, culture clash or contrast movie because today is not going to be rendered with any particular sense of reality. And so the, you don't really expect the 80s version, the you know, 1987 version of 1987 to be rendered with any particular reality. And it's not. Um, which is fine. I mean, again, these are things are supposed to be heightened. It is a horror comedy. It's it's supposed to be kind of fish out of water with Kieran, Kieran Chip oh, as yeah. a modern teenager. 
and but, uh, they get yeah. some good mileage, I would say, out of the culture clash thing. Like the idea that in the eighties she just like waltzes into school with yes. no trouble. Yes. And like the the logos are all racist. But again, even those things start to feel like box ticking like i don't know woke checkpoints or something like yeah like, I mean, like let's make the easy joke about a bunch of times I they are exactly they're making the easy joke and it's just and it's more about how well we're so much more enlightened now uh rather than something that sort of pokes fun at both of the time periods at once or sort of pokes fun at maybe a sense of you know a sense of outrage or something that you would have i'm not saying you have to like make fun of teenagers now i'm just saying that you want some kind of push and pull between those two things, not just like, whoa, the 80s were crazy, man. Like, The 80s much- are so wild, I think someone actually says, because I wrote yeah. that down as a quote. Yeah. But like, yeah, the lack of and- regulations. There's no DNA database. Yeah. The, the, the carnival guy just like, you just go on a ride or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, brushing up against 80 attitudes, uh, amusing for a minute. And then I go... I think Hot Tub Time Machine had the same type style yeah. of humor from this movie. <laughs> like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and there's a yeah, there's a lot of stuff where it just the '80s stuff just doesn't have a lot of verisimilitude either. Like you know they have like I can't believe the '80s are almost over and I haven't even tried Coke yet. Like people in the '80s, I don't think we're constantly talking about how it was such a Coke fueled decade. You know what I mean? I guess people right. talk about Coke, but like. It's, Mostly they were on coke. They were talking right, very right. fast about or coke. talking yeah. about their anticipation of how it's the eighties are almost over in nineteen eighty seven. No, does people do people really say when there's three years left in a decade no. that it's almost over? I don't know. It just yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just kind of rings false, and that sounds nitpicky, I guess, for a horror comedy. But it is supposed to be a comedy, and it's like not a very good one. Kira Shipka is is she charming. gets laughs like when yeah. she accidentally calls her mom mama, and she goes like, "Hey, mamacita," or whatever. Yeah. Like that yeah, shit's it's, funny because she yeah. sells it. Yeah, she's pretty good. Um, and like, I didn't have a bad, you know, I didn't have a bad time. And there's some cool visual concepts I actually love. They do like at one point there is a time travel device that is uh, an old carnival ride. I don't know if you guys remember the um, the, the carnival thing. ride yeah. where you like are yeah flattened against the wall with centrifugal force. Um, that that's a kind of an action sequence in there towards the end. I was like, this yeah. is pretty cool actually. This is like a good idea for a, for one of these things. Um, and there's like bits and pieces that have a have a certain um, you know, charm to them, but it's you know, the slasher stuff is it's just, uninspired. It's uninspired. there's a there's a waterbed kill, and I was like, you know, like doing the like chafing your putting your hands together in excitement, going, oh, this is gonna be good, and then it's yeah. not. There's yeah. not there's nothing interesting about the waterbed kill. They don't they don't use it to make an interesting horror scene, which like t- give give Art the Clown a fucking waterbed. I want to see what he would do with that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like the the uh, they make reference to Scream, and it's like it's a Scream style, or I guess Happy Death Day style, like who done, like who is the killer? You know, that's really what they're trying to figure out, like yes. who is the person doing this. And they try to lampshade it by joking about Scream, talking about Scream, and of course nobody in 1987 knows what Scream is, and no, you know, they know what Back to the Future is, but it doesn't still doesn't help. But like they never kind of, it, you know use those kind of reference points to do something funny or clever or no you, you know, have randall park it. say this is like back to the future or whatever. yeah right yeah. i don't like time travel movies they never make any sense wink you like know, it's shut like, up fuck yeah. you you're in one <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like not that's i need a little more than that you best um, start believing in time travel movies you're in one yeah well and it's it, it perfectly uh illustrates the general i mean again there's some terrific streaming movies uh, i just saw the killer it's gonna be on netflix in november and it's so fucking good i can't and, wait i can't wait oh my um, god um you know they've got they've tons of new york film fest movies or actually netflix movies 
but the kind of genre movies on streaming that aren't just like pickups that were probably intended for a theatrical release the ones that are sort of made directly for netflix or prime or whatever this one's a prime release they're just exactly halfway between a theatrical release and a tv movie and this one it's like better production value than a tv movie better actors you know a little little feels a little more like a real movie like something you could conceivably see yeah in a theater. but julie bowen is the mom so it yeah, does feel like yeah, a tv still, show but it also doesn't really <laughs> feel like it's quite good enough to be the theatrical version and like the theatrical version of it is happy death day or its sequel and this is like oh this is kind of the tv movie version it's not as bad as like a tv movie from 1994 or whatever but it doesn't really feel like a, that much of a real movie, which is a bummer because I think that's a good, it's a fun idea. It's and it's it's done it's just watchable. well enough. That yeah, you're like, exactly. Ah, I wish this was a little better. Exactly, totally watchable, but <coughs> not like it's very hard for me to muster up a yeah. You should watch it. I'm just like yeah, I don't know. Like it just even the way things resolve end up being too like obvious. Like yeah. the arcs of what the slasher thing actually is it's just kind of warmed over other movie stuff it's all yeah. other movie stuff is the yes, problem exactly and like there's one cool idea where like you know cha- like butterfly effect like changing things in the past and yes there's like the she writes a clue i feel like and it becomes like death metal lyrics that yes. people know yeah. but like it's really her note from the future and like that stuff was so cool but it doesn't do enough with any of that i was definitely yeah. just yeah left left me wanting more but Kieran Shipka innocent I think she's good and I think someone on Letterboxd said this movie is like if kids bop made scream and that made me laugh yeah yeah uh, so we'll leave it there uh is there anything else what else did you watch no that's oh I well yeah I did watch uh we watched um Dark Harvest didn't we oh god yeah okay <laughs> so let's for I would maybe it was your expectation of it being bad that I thought it was good because like I don't think it's great I just was surprised by the baseline, like, this is a very, like, it's just such a Halloween movie that's, like, a fun concept that I totally bought into it, and totally, you know, there's definitely some elements that don't hold up muster, I guess. It's pretty clunky in terms of dialogue, maybe, or something like that, but in terms of the horror movie where, like, you're watching this original creature design which you know so borderline original i would say they watched pumpkin head maybe in the past yeah. but yes. there's a cool it's just a fun halloween movie that i was like yeah i'd watch like i'm glad i watched this in october uh what is this movie tell me about yeah it. i i wish i knew boy i wish i knew um <laughs> it's based on a novel that i think was pretty well well regarded a horror novel and it's, it has a kind of Stephen Kingy, sp- great spooky season premise. I mean, I wanted so, to see this for like a year because I yeah. heard about it, and because it has a great premise that I was really excited. About. I was like, this sounds like real kind of like supernatural spooky horror, not just like another slasher movie. Um, it's about a small town, I believe, in the '60s, yeah. where uh, there's like a yearly ritual where all the teenage boys are recruited to. Well, first they're starved. Yes, they're starved for yeah, of course. Yeah. For reasons that are unclear, but yes, yes. very silly. Extremely yeah. unclear and, and in fact counterintuitive. Um <laughs> they're starved for days and then released uh presumably weakened and disoriented to um attack this creature that rises from a cornfield called Sawtooth Joe. 
Great. No, Sawtooth Jack. Sorry. Jack. I, That's Jack, right. I, I, I like Joe better. I think it should have been Sawtooth Joe. Sawtooth That's Jack. A, Jesse's doing a rewrite. I'm doing, yeah, I, I got notes. No, Sawtooth Jack, great name and a very cool creature design. Um, and he comes out of the cornfield of this small town, and, and then they the, the kids all have to, like, fight it and outrun it, and wh- whoever kills it, right, uh, becomes the kind of town champion for the year. That gets rid of the demon beast whatever it is for a year and then that that kid is like kind of hunger game style and you know that their family gets money and status and stuff yes and it seems like the people to me it was all a metaphor about leaving your shitty hometown and not being able to and how in this movie the only way to get out seems to be to win this thing and then yes and then they like allude to oh yeah he left and then went wrote a big novel and now he's famous and like right 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 but yeah that's all unclear if that's true Yes, um, and th- that also supposedly like keeps the harvest or whatever, right? It like keeps the harvest, the crops uh, going. Um, it's although it's unclear again how important that is too. Um, and so this movie is about uh, you know you see the, in the prologue you see the kid who wins, and his bro- uh, his younger brother is sort of is left behind essentially and wants to win himself the following year. Uh, to get yeah, you're right to escape his hometown. And it's a great premise. It is. Executed is... perfectly. <laughs> executed <laughs> with like, I guess the only thing, the, the combination of like some kind of cool visual ideas and, and cool story ideas that, that really appeal to me and absolutely horrible, like, does, did you even pay attention to the previous scene when you wrote the next scene writing? I can only call sure. describe this as Riverdale-esque. Uh, <laughs> It's so much like the TV show Riverdale, which I do enjoy. I or I haven't finished it yet, but I've I've enjoyed uh, you know hearing while also finding really frustrating because there's stuff that's sort of like campy fun about it, and then there's stuff that's like genuinely incompetent about it, like genuinely incoherent. Yeah, I definitely zoned out during any scenes where like the kids are talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, well, and the whole thing is just like it's they do such a bad job of evoking the '60s that Marissa and I watching this were like certain. That this is going to be a, the village situation. Oh, sure. Where, like, oh, yeah, this isn't really the 60s. This is some weird cluster town pretending. There's that and, sheriff who just gives off, first of all, insane performance, over-the-top, terrible. But yes. also, very much not a 1963 performance. No, and well, the, the teenage boys either. I'm not saying that people didn't say the word fuck in 1962 or whatever it's supposed to be. But the way this dialogue is written and the, the volume of the profanity... And the kind of I thought you love anachronisms. I mean, in certain <laughs> on the soundtrack only certain anachronisms. Uh, I'm I'm very happy with. I just was conf- I was genuinely confused, and I don't think it's a style. I, there was again, there are times where I thought this is a story choice, and then I was like, "Boy, this is this a style choice?" And then at the end, I was just forced to be like, "No, this is just bad. This is this not is a style choice, Jack, baby." Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't obey the rules. And David Slade, who directed this, I always think I'm going to... I, I can't weirdly have a good association with him. I have no idea why. I didn't enjoy 30 Days of Night. I remember being really excited for it and thinking it sucked. Um, I also found it disappointing, but people really like it or seem to hold it in high regard for reasons I don't understand. And I, I, like, I remember the color scheme was really cool. Yeah, it looks looking. nice. And I think yeah. Dark Harvest does too, but maybe... Well, you see, I, I, that's, like, you know, I've, see, I've seen a lot of his feature films. And they are all just sort of do this, like, this one. I don't even know what it is. I think it's a, it's a shutter speed adjustment that gives you kind of like a unreal sort. It's like, the, I always think of it as gladiator vision, but I feel like they actually ripped it off from Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. 
the, the thing on action where it like kind of makes the action look like unrealistically fluid or sort of like it's something you do with this with the way it's photographed it's sort of like it's not super fast motion but it sort of makes look regular speed look like fast motion that's that's david slade's one that's his dice move from knocked up you know as you which you like to allude to uh He's yes. doing the dice. He's doing the shutter speed thing too much. It's really the only move he has. It's just like everything is shot in that weird shutter speed, like super, you know, uh, uh, hyper real vision. Uh, the action scenes from Gladiator over and over and over again. And yeah, I kind of like the, some of the art direction, certainly the creature design, but even some of that is just like incoherent in this movie. There's like you see at one point what I I'm, I guess is supposed to be the skyline of the town where they live in. And it doesn't fucking match what kind of town they're in. You see a skyline <laughs> from like a city. It would be a city that has a, at least a population of 200,000. And this is supposed to be a town of like 15,000 people or something. Or fewer, I think. I think it's supposed to be yeah, a town yeah, of like 2,000 people. Remember when the geyser of blood comes out from that bunker? Wasn't yeah, that cool? no, there's, there's, there's <laughs> some cool horror movie imagery. And I was definitely with the movie going like, maybe this is all going to pull it together, you know? Like, there's a lot of stuff I like about it, and I, I really, I went into this thinking it would probably be cool. Like, I was like, it was delayed for a long time, but I probably didn't know what to do with it. It's going to play at the draft. It played at the draft house for one night. I was like, well, that suggests it has kind of a cult appeal that the studio just couldn't figure out. You know, I went into this with an open mind, you know, genuinely kind of excited to watch it. And I just found it so confusing i mean like i think i saw someone react positively to it on my feed saying that it's so incoherent that he considers it surrealist and therefore good <laughs> um which i think is like i guess that's valid i saw like actually michael rothman i think um oh yeah he loved it loved it and like i i, I don't mean to impugn someone's enjoyment of something or saying they're not they're not you can't be serious or whatever but i did my reaction was kind of like did you see this actual movie or did you just picture a different movie as you watched it in parallel because i completely <laughs> understand the movie that, that would be like this that would be really good like they would have the same creature in the same plot essentially but it would have to have different actors uh, <laughs> a different shooting style different dialogue and situations and it would be yeah, really I good mean, i understand <laughs> i understand because there isn't a lot of meat on the bone i guess but like and i guess it's just kind of bad at explaining itself it's not really good at getting at what I'm sure the book does a much better job of, of explaining this, the right. town and stuff. But I don't know. I was totally with it even when it was being not great. <laughs> and it's ex <laughs> it, even when the character, like the act, like that sheriff actors over the top and the characters yeah. are talking to each other. And I just don't really care. Like I was still just like waiting for the shoe to drop on what the explanation for the pumpkin head, uh, sawtooth <laughs> Jack was going to yes. be. And like, even that it explanation is confusing to me. Yeah, but, okay. I guess so. It kind of, I mean, it makes sense if you're thinking about the my my what I just immediately took as like the metaphor about your hometown, and then it's funny that this is based on a book because when you said that, I'm like, no, you you're just thinking it's based on Stephen King's The Long Walk, right. but it's not because when I I just had read The Long Walk actually when I was, when we were in the hospital having a baby, that's the book I brought, uh -huh. and um, this movie to me plays like Stephen King's The Long Walk with a Halloween reskin. And a central metaphor about leaving your hometown, where the long walk was more about, I think, Vietnam. or There was ah. definitely a different metaphor going on. But, I mean, 
I love the idea up top where like no one really there's people who believe the monster myth and people who don't and the people who say yeah the guy just you know puts fucking death row inmates in a costume and lets us kill him every year like yeah. I love that idea oh yeah that's that's a very cool idea yeah it's such a cool idea but it's, again that's a line that someone says and it's gone like it doesn't it's it's not an yeah. idea that's explored but I love that like people are making their own explanations and I the explanation itself. I guess a little convoluted, but if you're viewing it as a metaphor, I'm like, it's fine. It's like, I just uh, totally metaphor mode of a movie about not leaving your hometown and the sacrifices that you need to make to do so stuff like that. I'm fine with it. I thought it was a totally fine reveal. Um, and like weird that I liked the design so much. Cause it's very clearly CGI. There's some practical, but it's a lot of CGI, but I think it all looks pretty cool it is it is a cool looking monster I, that, that cool looking really monster nice. yeah. and the way he like slices people's heads off in the fields is, yes. is nice it that looks cool. nice with the shutter speed trick that he's got yeah. going on yeah but yeah i don't know there's definitely you have to like look for the i don't know i don't know how, i'm trying to defend this movie while also accepting that it's not the best no i mean i'm so re- i'm weirdly relieved that there was a movie that was sort of marginal that uh that i'm being the crank about and you're like that's eh, pretty good because like yeah. i feel like there were like a bunch of those this year where i was the one going oh i actually kind of liked cobweb or i, I kind of liked haunting well, in venice i like this and that this reminds so, me of the children of the corn reboot almost yeah too. <laughs> yeah which i also kind of thought was like it did remind me of that which i also thought was horrible and like there's I think there's just like the because it has messages and themes. It's trying. I yeah. guess that's why I thought. It yeah, was like I that. appreciate the idea. I like. I love the uh, like. You know, I love towny stuff, like stuff with, with the dynamic of your hometown and feeling like whether or not you've outgrown it or like stuff like that. I yeah, think that's, that's why we really... love Halloween ends. Or yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But this one, I feel like, just has really fumbles on sense of place, like. And just internal consistency. Again, I'm not like Mr. Nitpick about that kind of thing, but like this girl comes to town, how? And it's just like, I'm here now. And if this doesn't strike me as that weird and it's the sixties and she's not to be a dick about it, but like, she's a black girl who like yeah. av- avoids ever hearing a racial slur in a town full of racist white people. Yeah. Uh, and cloistered, you know, not, not just Jess, white Jesse's people, like, review. He would have liked to have heard the N word. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it always sounds like when you complain about that stuff. Um, and to be clear, I don't mean, I just mean like, like it doesn't why, feel lived in. Yeah. Why put this in the, I mean, not, not why put a black girl in the movie, but like, if you're not, if you're not willing to acknowledge, especially if it's a movie about a cloistered small town, yeah, it's it like was just gesturing at the idea of racism. Yeah. So, and it's yeah. like, well, I don't know. That just kind of feels like you're using it to be opportunistic and be like, look how, look how progressive we are. It's not the actress's fault. Who's fine in the movie. Um, she's probably, in fact, probably has a little more gravitas to her than the, a lot of the boys who I was, I think also were sort of taking me out of it. Cause I was like, these are like sub sub sprouse level, uh, actors. Uh, that's the other thing I was, it's like watching a little bit like watching Riverdale without some of the actors on Riverdale who are not amazing actors, but have a certain kind of like cartoony charisma that you're just sort of drawn to them. Even like yeah. the guy who plays Archie is like kind of bad, but like, he's sort of memorable and like these guys I just started forgetting about immediately yeah um, they don't they just don't really do that girl char- that, that female character justice by having it sort of like they just sort of plug her into the movie kind of cynically uh, and it doesn't give you as they're not really willing to go all the way with making the town genuinely actively racist but they want to kind of make it metaphorical but I was like if it's set in 1962 
Then why doesn't the have fuck to be. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be Battle for Coral. You could just actually show those things. Yeah, you know, there's something, there's one line that, like, really gets it, I think, what it's getting at. Like, we're just doing what has to be done because it's the way it's always been done. And I'm like, yeah. it's just clinging to conservative ideals for no re- ideals for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like, who's it for? What's it matter? All that stuff. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I was fine with it. But from what I understand reading other people's reviews, they did change a lot from the book or, like, not include a lot of backstory on sawtooth jack apparently he's a real character in the book and just kind of like oh, uh, interesting. a hollow villain here and i'm interested to know i'm like interested in the book actually after yeah, reading, yeah. after watching this, this no this definitely made me want to read the book um and it's not you know again i, I didn't find it unwatchable i went like i was kind of watching with it to the end because i was hoping it would sort of pull it out for me or sort of yeah bring it together and it just boy it didn't it didn't really work for me though i would love to see sawtooth jack in another movie he's he's great Love yeah, him. Keep, yeah, so dump the movie, keep Sawtooth Jack, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right, that's enough for this main feed episode of the New Flesh Podcast. For other recent horror movies that we haven't covered here, check out Roger and me, and hopefully check out the Patreon feed soon, where Jesse and I can talk about some more. And also, he attended NYFF, New York Film Festival. Yes. I am fake attending Brooklyn Horror Fest. I have like nine or ten screeners or something. Oh, we can do a bonus on Saw Musical because it's not really worth talking oh, perfect. about. It. It's very perfect. bad, but we'll talk. I'll talk. I can explain. I'll just explain to you why it's good that you didn't see it. Great. So <laughs> definitely get on the Patreon uh, this week when we have a minute. We'll record that episode on Saw the Musical. There's a screaming baby in my life right now. I gotta go. De- we gotta go deal with that. Jesse's coming over to help. Yeah, that's uh, right. I'll be right over. <laughs> Alright. Alright. Bye. <laughs> Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.